This is indeed just a portion of this story of God. These are the first 12 verses of this chapter 9 in this book of John. And on this fourth Sunday in the season of Lent, the lectionary actually asks us to read all 41 verses of chapter 9. At the pace that I read, that would take about seven minutes. So I let you sit down. But we are going to fill in some of those gaps as to what happens after these 12 verses. So the narrative begins, Jesus and his disciples encounter a man. This man has been blind from birth, and the common perception at that time, and unfortunately still today, is often that this kind of thing happens when somebody is actively being punished for some sin. This man is blind because of his own sin or because of the sin of generations past. And the disciples naturally ask their rabbi, Who sinned? Who crossed the moral boundary for this man to be afflicted so? Jesus' response offers grace. Jesus says that the disciples, says to the disciples that this man did not sin. It was not the sin of this man that caused him to be blind. It wasn't even the sin of his parents that stripped his ability to see. But Jesus doesn't stop with this statement. And the next statement that Jesus makes, for me, is a bit troubling. Jesus said that this man was born blind so that the works of God might be revealed in him. For me, this begs a question. Did God give this man half a lifetime of blindness, half a lifetime of pain and poverty, Did God exclude this man from community just to display a miracle? Just so that Jesus might walk up one day and free him from the burden that this God had given him in the first place? I don't know about you, but this answer to this question doesn't really satisfy me. My hope is that as we read the rest of the story, as we tell the rest of the story, that we'll see this answer in perhaps a different way. So imagine, imagine that you are this man that's been born blind. Imagine that you've been blind your whole life. You're forced to beg for your sustenance. You're sitting on the side of the road and you hear some people coming. You've probably heard this question, a question that the disciples asked many times before. Imagine hearing what this man heard. Imagine having this conversation directed over you, about you, rather than being addressed by these people personally. He hears the same question he's heard over and over again. Who sinned? Is this man the cause of his own suffering? Did his mom, his dad, who caused it? He's probably heard these questions so often that he's begun to ask himself. Maybe he feels himself deficient. Maybe he feels like he has cursed himself. Maybe he blames his parents. Maybe he does think that this God damns people for generations for mistakes. And so he hears the question, who sinned? Who crossed the line? But the question is responded in a different way this time. 
Imagine hearing somebody say, neither this man, neither you, nor your parents are the cause of this. I might feel a little bit of hope if I heard that. And then imagine hearing that this man was born blind. This man was born that, because God might be displayed in him. I don't know exactly how I would feel if I was this man. I might feel a little bit of hope because there is newness in this answer. There's newness. There's something different about the way that this answer comes. But I might also be a little bit enraged by the cruelty of the suggestion that God did this just for this. The man, he can't even see who it is that offers the strange answer. He doesn't see this group of disciples. He doesn't see this person that speaks, but he hears what happens next. He hears somebody spit, and suddenly he feels a glob of mud being smeared across his eyes. The same voice that gave such a confounding answer speaks to him from just inches away now and says, go and wash the mud away. This man hears this voice, he listens and he responds. He goes and does exactly what this voice suggests. He goes to the pool of Siloam and washes the mud from his eyes. He opens them and he experiences a world that he had not experienced before. He can relate to the world in a way that he had not been able to do so before. A few minutes ago, uh, Pastor Chris read to us a story about David's selection, about David becoming the next king of Israel after Saul. The experiment of self-governance that Israel had demanded from God had not gone so well. Saul had done exactly what God had predicted Saul would do. Saul took the people into wars that he shouldn't have taken them into. He brought poverty on the people. He brought oppression on the people. He brought idolatry into the nation, and God was done with Saul. You might remember that Saul was chosen to be king largely because of the way that he looked. It says in the text that Saul was handsome, that he was good-looking, that he stood a head taller than everybody else in the nation of Israel. This was the picture of a king. When Samuel arrived at Jesse's home to anoint this Saul's successor, he began by using the same criterion. He sees that Eliab is tall and handsome, and Samuel's ready to pour the oil over Eliab's head and call him king, but God says, nope, this isn't the one. God says to Samuel, Samuel, you people, you see only superficially. I see inside this person and I see out. I see to the heart. Samuel was ready to make the same mistake all over again. He was quick to judge by these appearances and he thought that another version of the same model might do a little bit better. But God had something else in mind. God says he sees to the heart and it's David that's chosen. And just as a somewhat ironic aside, even after making it clear that God does not look at appearances, the narrator just has to comment on David's own look. This guy is good looking. In the story that we're reading today in John chapter 9, we hear echoes of these words that God spoke to Samuel. As the narrative continues... 
Jesus actually fades into the background. The story instead follows this man that was born blind. This man first encounters his neighbors, and somehow these people, this, these people that have seen this man from day to day, who've seen him begging, don't even recognize him. Is this the man? I think it's just somebody that looks like him. And the man simply responds, I am he. These neighbors ask how such a healing is even possible, and the man's answer is again simple. This man called Jesus put mud on my eyes and told me to go wash. I went and washed, and now I see. The story then says that these neighbors take the man to the Pharisees. This is the part that we haven't read. The neighbors take the man to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, noting that this alleged healing takes place on the Sabbath, start their own interrogation of the situation. How did he heal you? Again, he says simply, Jesus put mud on my eyes. He told me to wash. I went and washed, and now I see. After a bit of debate about the sinfulness of healing on the Sabbath, these Pharisees then decide that they don't believe that the man has even been healed to begin with, and they turn to the man's parents. The Pharisees go and interrogate the parents. They ask them, is this man your son? Was he really blind? How is it that he sees now? The parents, for their part, they do acknowledge their son. They say, this is our son. He was blind, and somehow he sees, but don't ask us how. Go back and ask him. He's of age. He can answer this question himself. And the Pharisees oblige. They do switch up the interrogation strategy a little bit, and they return to this argument about the sinfulness of a man that would heal on the Sabbath. They demand that this man who's been healed claim that Jesus sinned in doing so. And it appears that by now this man has had enough. He's just gained vision for the first time. He's just been healed of his blindness for the first time in his life. And his whole experience of the world since that moment, since he's gained his sight, is to try to appease the discomfort of the community that still will not welcome him. Neighbors, family, community leaders, all of them. They fail to see that this man has been given something. This man has had an encounter with the divine, and the divine has given this man something that he's never had before. He's given him freedom. This man's community, though, fails to see this gift. They fail to see that this is an event worth celebrating. This man's community fails to see him. Instead, they continue to maintain their little boundaries and their categories. They try to evaluate who crossed what line and who should be suffering for it. This man refuses. He refuses to cast doubt on what he's experienced and he refuses to cast doubt on the person who gave it to him. This man maintains his simple witness, the same witness that he's had from the beginning. All I know is this, I was blind and now I see. And the community threw him out at the end of the story. Just a few chapters before this story in John 9, in John 5, Jesus 
had healed yet another man on the Sabbath. This person is described as being an invalid. There, as well as here, the community leaders interrogate the man. They argue about whether or not this healing is real, whether it's from God, whether it's from some demon. The stories mirror each other. And in that story, Jesus responds to the arguments of the the, uh, religious leaders. Jesus says to them, stop judging by the appearances. Judge with right judgment. See with right sight. Echoes of what God said to Samuel. Look at this world as God looks at it. See this world inside and out and see that the works of God are displayed for all to see. Here's a new lens I learned this week about this Gospel of John. It's really kind of simple. When John talks about these supernatural events, God doesn't, or John does not talk about them as miracles. John talks about these healings. John talks about these things as signs. And signs point to something else. This story isn't just about a man that's healed of his blindness. This story points to the way that the community, even the way that we today look at this man and look at those on the margins. This story is actually a sign pointing to us. If we really look at this man born blind, we see that the works of God were always on display. This man was born Not just born blind, this man was born. The God who created the entire cosmos created this man. This man's blindness did not negate this. It did not mean that this man didn't bear the image of God or that God's presence wasn't with the man, somehow absent before he was given his sight. And whatever came before this moment that this man encountered Jesus, when this man hears Jesus speak, he responds Go wash. And the man simply got up, went, and washed. And finally, after this healing, this man told his story over and over again. The text says he kept saying, I am he. I am he. This is what Jesus means when he says that this man was born so that the works of God might be revealed in him. The works of God were always revealed within this man. The invitation in this story is for the community to recognize those works of God. Several commenters suggest that this man, in some ways, is a shorter stand-in for Jesus in the gospel as a whole. And this man's story does mirror Jesus' story. Crowds question the man's identity. He speaks simply and honestly. He says, I am, over and over. He's accused of being a sinner, and he's finally cast out. This Lenten season, we've been going through this Inside Out series. We've been seeking our own inner transformation. As we worship and we pray and we listen and we respond, we've been hoping that we might be changed. But we're also hoping that the world might be changed. We want the change in us to change the world around us. These neighbors and these Pharisees, they looked for scandal and they see only sin. 
They weren't able to see the world that Jesus saw. Weren't able to even see this human being that Jesus saw. But Jesus saw the man. Jesus saw this man and saw an opportunity for healing and for restoration. Most of us here this morning, we've gathered because we have somehow encountered the divine in Christ. Some of us, like this man, have actually been healed of what ails us. And most of us are probably still hoping for a little bit more healing. All of us, though, all of us forget to see the humanity in some of those people that are right around us. We forget to see the suffering. We forget to see the glory of God even in those that we might think are less fortunate than us. In some cases, we might even fail to see the image of God within ourselves. You might be the man born blind. You might be the woman wrestling with depression. You might be the girl with the shattered self-esteem or the boy that looks in the mirror and wishes things were different. You might be the one that's been called sinner and cast out of your community. But hear this. God sees you. The works of God are evident in you. My prayer is that this place, this community, that we would see you the way that God does. That we might learn from this story and from this man and see in you the very manifestation of Christ. So may you see the works of God within yourself. May you know that God's image is within you and that God's presence is with you. May you hear an invitation to see yourself and see this world in a new way. May we all see past our desire for sin and scandal and instead see from that place within us where God dwells. In the name of the God who has created you and who has redeemed you and who sustains you, amen.